Time with Ricky Lee. Thank you for joining me here on 101.5 Hunley Community Radio. If you are ever outside the broadcast area, you can always stream the station at HuntleyRadio.com. New and past episodes of It's Showtime with Ricky Lee are also available as podcasts. Now, Chicago is known as a theater town, but it has also given birth to some of Hollywood's most important and creative players. Anthony Sparks is a highly respected writer, showrunner, and producer who got his start in theater in Chicago. Now Anthony is the executive producer and writer of NBC Peacock's Bel Air. His other credits include Hulu's Mike, J.J. Abrams' Undercovers, NBC's The Blacklist, and Oprah Winfrey Network's Queen Sugar. Today, I have the great pleasure of talking to Anthony about his current career as a leading voice in television drama and his embrace of the importance of diverse representation in Hollywood. Welcome to the show, Anthony. Hey, thank you so much for having me. It's well, really, really great to be here. It is great to have you on. And I know you got your start in Chicago, where we're based. So I wanted to hear a little bit. You know, you have this great career and I want to touch on all that. But how did you get started? I'm so happy to talk about, you know, um, Chicago, you know, is one of my first loves. It is my home. It still shapes me to this day. Um, but yeah, I'm a kid who's I'm, I'm, I'm a hometown bred kid. I'm from the south side, far south side of Chicago, Morgan Park, to be specific. Um, I was, you know, born and raised there and, you know, a little, little, little house, you know, right <laughs> off of you know, uh, in, in the hood, I suppose some people would say now, um, but um, in a house that was jam packed full of people, um, uh, you know, but jam packed full of love, you yeah. know, and so I'm really a product of Chicago love, I should say, um, you know, and so yeah, so I started there, went to my neighborhood school, John D. Shoup school. And then from there was very, very fortunate to from seventh grade to get into the school that I think, um, has impacted me. I, I've, I've been blessed with a lot of education, but this school has impacted me as much as any, and that is Whitney Young uh, Academic Center and Whitney Young High School. Um, and so this is in the 80s, and I was fortunate to be admitted there and started traveling an hour and a half to two hours in each direction to get to school. Wow. Uh, yeah, every day. I got you. That, that was my life, you know, up and out of the house by 6 a.m. to get to school by 8, and then uh, eventually getting involved in cross country uh but really theater and dance was my my heartbeat um while i was at whitney young i sort of discovered theater in south side chicago churches though mm. actually, actually was the first so my brother who's a pastor now um would take me to church with him and they would let me do things like recite James Weldon Johnson's The Creation at the Christmas pageant or the or the Easter show that we would do. So it started there. But then when I went to Whitney Young, uh, specifically around eighth and ninth grade was when I really, really deeply fell in love with theater, started spending all my time outside of classes doing theater and dance at Whitney Young. 
to the point where I was like, I think I want to do this as a career. Is that a thing? Is that real? You know, um, and that's how I got started. It turned out it, it is real, you know, and then I went to college from Chicago to study theater. Yeah. And now you got your uh, BFA and MA in theater, and then you're, you have a PhD in uh, what was ethnic studies? In ethnic studies, exactly. Yes. That, that's, that's right. And so, and, and actually the MA is actually in ethnic studies as well. So I, I was blessed and fortunate where I had a bunch of choices of top theater programs to go to coming out of Whitney Young. Um, you know, Carnegie Mellon was on the table, NYU was on the table. Um, Northwestern was on the table. Only reason I didn't go to Northwestern is because it was too close to home. Uh, <laughs> you had to stretch your wings a little bit? I, my mom had drilled into me that college should be an adventure. And the way I interpreted adventure at that point, it meant, you know, more than an hour and a half away from home. Uh, it was hard to say no to a place like Northwestern, but USC came calling. It came calling with scholarship money, which was a necessity for me. And I had never even been to Los Angeles. I had never even been to California. And I got on a plane and was like, yeah, I'm going to go to this, you know, top rated theater program. But it's all the way out on the West Coast in this place where the ground shakes on a regular basis. <laughs> <laughs> and you you found I mean, is that where you live now? In it is. Los it is. And so my my journey looks like I left Chicago and like never and like went to L.A. And, and to go to USC and just stayed and had a career there. That's actually not the case, actually. So I did my four years, had a great, fantastic uh, educational and training theater training experience at USC in the School of Dramatic Arts. And then I immediately and I mean, within three weeks of graduating at 22 years old, went to the East Coast. And I had this New York City theater thing itch that I just had to scratch. And eventually, within a year, wound up in New York City. Um, and eventually, uh, right around that time, cast, actually, in a show that just closed after 30 years, which is Stomp, actually. I did not see it in New York, so I did not see you. But I yeah. saw Stomp on tour, and it uh. blew me away. Such an amazing show. And that uh. lends not only to your acting background, but to yeah. your dance background. Let's talk exactly. a little bit about your the, the blend of the acting and the dancing. How, how do you see yourself at that point in your career? More of an actor, more of a dancer, or, or kind of a combined force? Well, well, first of all, like I, I haven't gotten that question in a long time. People sort of asking about this melding because I'm so known as a writer now. And then people go, oh, yeah, he's an actor. And then it was like, actually, I was also uh, uh, dancing. Um, so I respect professional, you know, concert level dancers so much that I would never claim that I was at that level. Um, I was offered to be trained at one point by uh, I don't think they are. Uh, uh, around anymore, but there was a company called Joseph Holmes Dance Theater in Chicago um, that was a very, very uh, popular and renowned dance company. And they did, before I left Chicago, offer to take me into their training company to become a professional dancer. And I had a choice to make. Did I want to do that? Or did I want to do theater? And for me, theater encompassed so much of what I was interested in. Um, both acting, uh, uh, dancing, if I wanted it to, or, or, or movement, uh, uh, writing, which I eventually got to. And so that was how I ended up going into theater. But yeah, so the dance piece, I was, I was, I would, I was what I would call an actor who moved very well is what I would call. And I was very adept at that time at physical 
comedy uh, in my acting as well. And that was really what I was called on to do in Stomp. Stomp was this this amazing show that, you know, my life was forever changed by being a part of that show, just if only by the amazing talented people I got to go to work with every day. And they were musicians and they were singers and they were actors and they were dancers. And it was it was like this band of carnies just sort of, you know, that came together to do this show that became a worldwide phenomenon. So to be 23 years old and getting to go to work every day, you know, um, was pretty amazing, you know, actually. And uh, it, it is also what I call my first writing job, Stomp, believe it or not. Okay, how, now how does that work? Well, um, the creators of the show, a couple of British gentlemen, uh, Luke Cresswell and Steve McNicholas, th the way the show works, even though it's a wordless show, it has definite sort of comedic uh, beats that the show has to hit. And there's one character, uh, named internally that we call Mozzie that I played, who was basically the comedic lead of the show, the fool of the show, the clown of the show in the traditional sense of, of what that means theatrically. And my job on the show was to ding when everybody else was donging, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Okay. And to sort of stand up to the power dynamics in the show. And the reason I call it my first writing job was because Luke and Steve got to the point where they trusted me so much that I must have done, you know, a thousand, maybe 1500 stomp shows in my career. And I don't think I ever did the same show twice. They trusted me to switch up my show, improv to some degree, as long as I landed where I was supposed to land in the language of the show and the comedic beats of the show, they let me change my show every night. So I was writing. I didn't quite think of it that way then, but I was literally writing on the fly. And there were times where I did fall on my face. The audience would not laugh, you know, at what I did. <laughs> Sorry to those audiences that didn't get their laughs in on that day. But for the most part, I learned what entertains an audience. How do you build beats? How do you land beats? Things like that. And that's why I call it my first writing show. And it was on that show backstage that I started taking the prospect of writing for television seriously, because by then I knew about television writing as a career. I did not growing up in Chicago at this time in the eighties and nineties. I think now people know about the showrunner. They've heard that term as part of the popular lexicon, executive producers of television. But you got to remember as a little kid growing up on the South side of Chicago, I wasn't paying attention to those names that fly up on a TV screen. Nobody What's a was. gaffer? What's a, uh, What's a gaffer? Yeah. What's a producer? What's an associate producer? What's a supervising producer? What's an executive? We don't know. While I was at USC in the theater school, it was also while hanging out at the film school that I got introduced to like, oh, this is a job? Like, like, oh, like, this is a real job? And it was then in New, and so it, be, it was planted as a seed while I was in college. And then when I was in New York and I was acting and I was having a great, great time and experience. I, as I said, I'm 23, 24 years old. I'm going to work every day, you know, on a, on a Broadway touring show. Um, you know, I met the woman who would become my wife right around then. I mean, I am in retrospect living, right? And high point my, of your life. Yes. Like high point of my life. But I did begin to feel some frustration. Um, I wanted to build on top of Stomp, and I found that that was difficult at that time. The only gigs in town in TV and film was, you know, a Law and Order episode. 
And I was not very convincing, according to casting directors, as somebody who would be robbing somebody, taking their purse or whatever it is. And that's what that show had to offer at that time. So I began to think about how do I become creative? How do I become a self-advocate if I want to have a long-term career and not just one job? And that was, I had always written. I had also written when I was in high school. And I began to be reminded that I had this other talent. It wasn't honed at that point, but I knew that I had a basic facility to write. One day in New York in a bookstore where I was often hanging out after shows, I came across this book called The Showrunners, The Real Stars of Television. Uh, it's this book is out of print now. I have a couple of copies of it. <laughs> it basically was like, these are the people that you don't know that determine what you see on your TV screen and, and what stories we're telling. And I was like, this job sounds amazing. And that was when I was like, I want to do that. You're <laughs> listening to It's Showtime with Ricky Lee on 101.5 Huntley Community Radio. Remember, you can always listen to current and past episodes of the show as podcasts. Today, I have the great pleasure of talking to Anthony Sparks, a very accomplished writer, producer, and showrunner, who is currently the executive producer and lead writer for Bel Air on NBC Peacock. Now, Anthony, we've talked a little bit about how you got your idea started for working in television writing. Let's make that transition to what you're doing now as the yeah. executive producer and lead writer for M uh, NBC Peacock's Bel Air. And specifically, there's an episode airing this week, uh, April 6th, that you wrote that I want to talk about. But let's talk first sure. generally about how you got to this point. Well, sure. You know, well, first, just a point of clarification. I'm an executive producer and one of many writers okay. uh, uh, on Bel Air. Um, and uh, so I get to work with a, a great esteemed group of people there. Uh, but it is a collaborative effort. So I just want to give everybody their props. Certainly. But the um, but yes, to come into that show, um, you know, as an executive producer um, was really great. I'm sorry. What was your question? I just want to be sure <laughs> how, how you got from writing. You had you were performing in Stomp. You got the yeah. idea in your head that I want to transition to a yeah. career in television writing. Now yeah. you're executive producer writer for for Bel Air. How did we get there? Yeah, that's quite an arc, right? Yeah, yeah. On, on space, right? <laughs> that is happening every day. So the first thing was I was a theater kid. And so I started writing plays. I, I started with what I knew. And so I started writing plays in New York. And in Stomp, we would do seven or eight shows a week. And we'd have one day a week off, usually a Monday, uh, as most shows do, go dark on Mondays. And I was young in my 20s and had a lot of energy and was really trying to take advantage of that. So I started writing plays and I started sending my plays to all these theaters around town and I started getting doors shut in my face and they were not always nice about it either. Get away from me, kid, was basically, you know, the answer a lot of the time. Um, but, you know, I like to say you only need a couple of yeses or one yes, you know, and it makes, you know, the pain of those no's um, go away to a large degree. And I got a couple of yeses, people who were like, eh. We're not sure about this play kid, but we think you got something here. I'm going to give you a reading, you know, and blah, blah. And so I started people started giving me readings of my plays. And eventually that turned into a production um, at the New York Fringe Festival uh, at Soho Rep. Would that be Ghetto and, Punch? That was Ghetto Punch. Okay. That's exactly right. That was Ghetto Punch. And then I ended up in an off off Broadway run of that show uh, for like 
six weeks when I wasn't performing Stomp, I was over uh, at this off-off-Broadway theater performing my show, okay, my play. And at NBC at that time came to New York looking for new voices, they said. And they gave a few young, hungry playwrights um, uh, and a contract, actually. Um, it, it wasn't a lot of money, or perhaps it wasn't any money, but they, they started taking out options on our material. And that felt like, oh, I'm going in the right direction. Somebody's paying attention. It also reawakened the idea of writing for TV. And I think where I was a little bit different from some of the other downtown playwrights at that time was I was not thinking they were going to take my play as written and put it on TV in, in the form of a TV show. I knew that it was in a, a door creaking open, especially at that time, because there was very little diversity in television at that time. So I was like, let me help this process along. They clearly think I have talent as a writer um, uh, and an actor. And they put me on option twice, actually. The first time was as a writer and an actor. And then the second time was as a writer only. And I went, aha, uh -huh. I think something is trying to tell, somebody's trying to tell me something. And instead of being insulted that they, you know, were more interested in my writing than my performing, I decided to, to run in that direction and help the process along. So I started trying to teach myself how to write spec scripts. I got books about TV writing. There weren't a lot at this time in the 90s, but the few that there were, I read them. And I got to the point where I could write a spec script and start submitting it to fellowships in Hollywood and in Los Angeles. And after a couple of years of that, they started calling and going, hey, we think you got something. And so I would get in, get on a plane and fly to Los Angeles to interview at the Warner Brothers studio for their writers program. You know, I would get on a plane and fly to ABC Disney and interview for their writers fellowship program. Didn't get it the first time, was crushed, you know, made it to semifinalists and finalists and then didn't get it. And I just thought my life is over. What am I doing? Um, that sort of thing. Um, but uh, eventually, um, somebody said yes. And that was how it started. Then the agents started calling. And eventually, yes, I had just gotten married. I had a young bride. And I said, I think we got to go west, young lady. You know, so. <laughs> All right. Now let's talk specifically about Bel Air. Uh, yeah. I mean, this is a reimagination of a very famous show, Fresh Prince of Bel Air, but now with a dramatic focus. Um, so what is it like? What What is your focus of what you're trying to accomplish in season two of this show? Well, you know, the, I, I feel so fortunate to have joined the show as an executive producer. Um, it's the show that is descended from The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, such a legacy show and so beloved by so many people. Uh, Morgan Cooper, who's a filmmaker who reimagined the show as a dramatic series, you know, um, kudos to him. It really is what I what I like about what Morgan saw was that if you take the premise of the show seriously, it's a rather serious premise. Actually, it's about a kid who gets in life endangering trouble and has to be sent to live from the inner city of Philadelphia to, you know, this opulent lifestyle in Bel Air. So you get to tell this classic fish out of water story, but with high stakes involved. He's a young black man who, if he doesn't get on the right track, um, we know what could be out there waiting for him. 
right? So what really attracted me to the show was this idea that we were going to tell the this basically this coming of age story for a young black male. And you don't see that that often on TV, even today. And so that was very, very attractive to me to come onto that show and sort of lend, you know, my point of view in some ways. Um, that was my story. I was a kid from the South Side of Chicago who went out to Los Angeles. I was in college, but I went out to Los Angeles and I did have culture shock. I remember the first time I was on Rodeo Drive. I remember being Beverly Hills for the first time. I remember going to the Malibu Beach for the first time and being like, uh, am I dressed right? Like, you know, what do you, you know, do I have on the right flip flops? I don't know, <laughs> you know kind of thing. And um, so it's been great to be able to pour some of those personal experiences into the emotional journey of Will, the character on Bel Air, you know, as he tries to sort of redefine who he is to himself, um, redefine uh, his, what is his version of authentic Blackness that is not necessarily tied to financial struggle, as it often is when it comes to representation. So I think the show is a bit sly in that way. It doesn't hit it on the head, but it tells these stories that are really about what it is to be an authentic person and stay true to yourself, even as your outside world changes. And I think we all can relate to that. Yeah, I think that's really, really prevalent more today than really ever. You know, um, and let's talk about the, this April 6th episode that that you wrote. Was this um, based on a concept that you came up with or were you assigned this? Where, where did the story come from? And then we'll talk about what the story is. No, absolutely. So, yeah, so it, it's a combination of both. We have a writer's room and we have, you know, executive producers who, uh, you know, define what direct and we have partners in terms of studio and, and our network. And and, you know, we do a lot of a lot of TV writing is a lot of talking, a lot of pitching and a lot of listening as well. This particular season, we wanted to focus more on Will's journey inside sort of this opulent uh, school that he goes to. Uh, which is also a journey that uh, is that you don't see that much uh, in, 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 in television. And so we are also dealing with the fallout this season of Will discovering that his aunt and uncle had not been telling him the truth about his uh, his father. You know, he thought his father abandoned him, find out his father was actually um, in jail and that they sort of kept this from him for a long time. So he is reeling internally from the adults in his life all having lied to him for eight for uh, 16 years. And so the way we manifest that in our story this season is he's sort of trying to recreate his West Philadelphia life in Bel Air. He's falling back into some old habits, old habits that got him in trouble before. And that opens the door to him being he is a kid still to some you know, less than upfront sort of shady characters coming around. He is the nephew of a billionaire. So that is sort of the question we're playing with now. So it's really this season, a battle for Will's emotional soul between Uncle Phil, who he sometimes clashes with, and this character named Doc, who's more of the streets, feels more like what Will recognizes from West Philly. But the question is, what is Doc really up to? And is Will getting himself in trouble without knowing it? 
And we're going to see an escalation of that in the episode, uh, the latest episode that I wrote that airs next, uh, that airs, uh, that April aired uh, last night. Yes. Yeah, April yes. Yeah. All right. <laughs> now, you also had a lot of success with the, uh, the show Queen Sugar. You actually won a 2022 NAACP Image Award for Outstanding Television Drama for that. Um, I, you know, that is an amazing accomplishment. You've done so much in your career um, and you, and so much to be proud of. Where What is in the future for Anthony Sparks? Where, where are we going next? Thank you for asking that. You know, I and I wish I could give you a bunch of details because um, I am in the blessed position to have um, quite a bit going on. It's, it's funny, you know, you sort of, I was so busy, like, you know, earlier this week and last week, and it's like, oh, how am I going to juggle all of these different projects? And then I remember, remember when you prayed to be this busy? Remember when, <laughs> remember when you were like, please, I will never complain if you just let the phone ring and, 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 and keep it ringing. And that's what's happening. I can't get into details, but what I can say is that I'm currently developing a show uh, with an Oscar winner. I'm currently developing a show with uh, an Emmy winner, and I'm currently de developing a show with a Pulitzer Prize winner. And so it feels great to be in the position where um, uh, people uh, who are even more accomplished than I've been fortunate, uh, been blessed to be, are coming to me and seeing me as a peer and wanting my uh, creative leadership and my creative input. And um, so there's quite a bit going on. <laughs> and uh, I'll have to say, stay tuned in terms of the details, but I'm getting some to work on some amazing, um, rather noisy projects when they're ready to, to be announced. That is so exciting. Now you have been listening to it's Showtime with Ricky Lee on 101.5 Huntley Community Radio. Keep in mind you can always listen to current and past episodes of It's Showtime with Ricky Lee as a podcast. I have had the esteemed honor of talking to the renowned Hollywood creative Anthony Sparks. Anthony is currently the executive producer and one of the writers for Bel Air on NBC Peacock. Be sure to tune in to Bel Air because Anthony knows how to write a hit series. And, uh, you know, Anthony, thank you so much for your time. I look forward to hearing and seeing more of your successes. And, uh, you know, I just wish you the absolute best. You're such an exciting and engaging person to talk to. Oh, thank you so much, Ricky. This has been an absolute blast. Hello to everybody out there in Chicagoland. It's, uh, I try to represent us uh, as proudly as I can. And, and as well you as do a fine job, my friend. Thank you so much. <laughs>